Let's once again look to God in prayer. Thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to open your word, to share together, and we know that your spirit is present among us. And we pray, O Lord, that we would be sensitive to the voice of your spirit, applying what is said to our own hearts and our own lives for this day and for this time. Amen. Now, in my sermon last Sunday, we realized that John was banished to the island of Patmos as a result of being dedicated to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he was considered a threat to the empire, and he was banished to this this, uh, very remote and, and sparsely populated island in the sea called the island of Patmos. We also realized that John shuttled back and forth between earth and heaven in these, to receive these visions and to have these visions. And we will continue this series of wild and wonderful visions as we have been in now. This is another one of these series. And in the first part of chapter 7, the 144,000, which is a symbol of the redeemed, the, those 144,000 are on the cusp of the great tribulation. They're on the cusp of going through a significant amount of suffering. And in this chapter, in this chapter that we look at today, in chapter 7, John has a vision of two multitudes. The first is the 144,000, and then the second John describes a multitude that no one could number. Now, I would suggest this morning that those two multitudes are really one and the same, and they're a vision of one multitude like two different vantage points, similar to when a photographer wants to get a different snapshot. The photographer moves to a different location, a different place, to take a picture of the, same, of the same scene. So in the same way, John is describing the multitude, first of all, as 144,000, symbolizing the entire Christian church. Um, so this first theme, scene is a vision of the multitude on the earth who receive the seal of God or a mark placed on their foreheads by God. And they are protected then from the harm that will come on the earth. And the harm comes and the the suffering comes on the earth as a result of the seals or the result of the scroll, the seals that are broken on the scroll in heaven when that seal is opened. In Revelation 7, 4, And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God, 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. And these 144,000 represent, as I indicated, the entire Christian church. And let me say that um, you, may, you may want to, if you desire to jot, in the, to jot down in your bulletin the, um, uh, on the message notes section, there are spaces for you to fill in if you want to take some notes that way or, or simply 
record, um, recorded in another place. David Eward says, quote, As God's servants face the testings of the last days, and as they stand on the threshold of the great tribulation, they are assured that God will bring them safely through. In Revelation 9, 4, we notice that God's judgments strike only those who do not have the seal of God upon their foreheads. Now, this does not mean that God's people do not suffer in the apocalyptic disasters which the earth experiences, but they are delivered from God's wrath and are led through much tribulation into the eternal kingdom, end of quote. So I would suggest that in this passage, describing the 144,000 and then the great multitude that no one can number, that it's merged, those two multitudes then are merged. And John sees in verse 9, after this I saw a vast crowd too great to number, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. David, again, David Ewart suggests, quote, the meaning of the number, in other words, 144,000, is that God knows them all. All are counted by him, end of quote. All are counted by God. And with that, I'd like to read this passage beginning with, again, beginning with verse 9. After this, this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd 
and he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You may have noticed in that adoration that the elders in the heavenly court was singing to God, praise and honor and glory and blessing, that that is the, there are seven praises and adoration. And again, we recognized last week that seven is a symbol of completeness, a symbol of perfection. So in the second vision that John has that takes place in heaven, the church is presented in heaven after the sufferings, after the tribulation is completed. He saw this great multitude that no one could count. And we see in this that the promise that God gave to Abraham back in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 15, that his de- Abraham was promised that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and also like the sand on the seashore and that he would be the father of many nations. And we find here in this vision that this promise is fulfilled. And they are standing together in worship and adoration before the throne and the Lamb. And in the Hebrew culture, one always stood in the presence of a deity. One stood in the presence of God. And so that is why they were standing And these victorious crowds in heaven, those who have died for their faith, have come through intense suffering and tribulations on the earth. One translation refers to it as they have come through the great ordeal, the tribulation that they have come through. And so they stand before the throne of God and Jesus the Lamb. And they are robed in white, a symbol of purity, a symbol also of their glorified bodies. And they wave palm branches, a symbol of being victorious, standing there giving praise and worship to God. They have not been spared suffering. They have not been spared death. But they have remained faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they have come now through that suffering intact and being faithful to Jesus, the Lamb, on the throne. And they have conquered the powers of the enemy through the blood of Jesus Christ. Notice also that the the court of heaven includes angels that surround the throne. It includes the elders and the four living creatures. And these are described in greater detail in Revelation chapter 4, where we find and discover that there are indeed 24 elders seated on thrones, and they are dressed in white robes. And it also includes the four living creatures that are described in chapter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And these creatures had different kinds of of faces uh, upon them. One had the face of a human, one had the face of an eagle, another the face of an ox, and another the face of a lion. 
And all the living creatures had eyes all around and they had six wings, John says. Now he sees these 24 elders, these creatures, all singing praise and adoration to God to, on the throne and to the Lamb. And the suffering and the death of the Lamb, the death of Jesus, have allowed them to overcome temptation and evil. They, too, have remained faithful to Jesus. They've experienced this salvation that through Jesus Christ. It's rather ironic, is it not, that they have dipped their robes in the blood of the Lamb and they have been washed, they have been cleansed, and their robes are white and clean. A similar song of praise is offered in Revelation 4 where, this, where he says, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor, for you created all things and you exist because you created what you pleased. It's not as lengthy an adoration there in chapter 4. And then in verse 13, John is asked a rhetorical question, a question where the emphasis is on the answer. And John doesn't answer the question. John simply refers it back to one of the 24 elders who ask him, and he's asked, who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? And then he says, and I said to him, sir, you're the one who knows. And then he answers the question. These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. Robes here symbolize a person's character, symbolize who they are. And all those who enter God's presence have their lives, have their lives cleansed by the blood of Jesus. They are then able to stand in the presence of God because their lives have been washed. Their robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb and those robes then are cleansed and made white. In Exodus chapter 19, the Israelites were instructed to wash their clothes in preparation for meeting with God. And these saints, these saints are now in the presence of God. They have been victorious. They have remained faithful to Jesus in the midst of their sufferings. And now they have fellowship night and day. They have, are in the presence of God night and day, forever and ever, for all eternity. They stand in the presence of the Lamb and the throne of God. Somehow we just can't quite grasp, can't quite imagine how that will be. Christ the Lamb protects them from the things on earth that could harm them. They will never again, John says in, John, in Revelation seven sixteen never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. And then in this wonderful imagery that we find in the book of Revelation, we see that the lamb will be their shepherd. The lamb, Jesus, will be their shepherd. 
Two chapters before this one in Revelation 5, there's a search for someone to open the scroll. And they had difficulty finding a person who would be able to open the scroll. And so John cried and cried. And finally then, there's a dramatic turn of events. And an elder confronted John with the news that someone indeed was available to open the scroll. And that was the Lamb of God and also the Lion of Judah, he's referred to in chapter 5. Now, the lion in the Old Testament is a symbol of military victory. A king who was able to come forward and to decimate his foes. And this reference to Jesus as the king, as the lion of the tribe of Judah, is a symbol of the fact that Jesus has defeated the enemy Satan. But wait, the image then, John doesn't see the lion The image is turned on its head in chapter 5, where John doesn't see the lion, but what John sees is the Lamb of God. A lamb that looks like it has been slaughtered. He doesn't see the symbol of power and might. He doesn't see a conquering king with a scepter in his hand. But in Revelation 5, 6, John says, Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. It's interesting to note also that the word lamb referring to Jesus is used 26 times here in the book of Revelation. And the lion, the word lion, is used only here in the fifth chapter referring to Christ. God then will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't that a wonderful image of God? God, like a tender mother, taking a handkerchief and a tissue and wiping every tear from their eyes. What a beautiful picture of a God who cares for us as we are in heaven. Let me suggest, even as we saw in our Sunday school lesson, that this passage brings to mind the role of suffering, the importance of suffering, and the meaning of suffering in the lives of believers. First, let me say that God does not abandon us. God is with us in our suffering, that God walks with us in our times when we're going through difficulty. Secondly, let me say also that we should expect to suffer for our faith. We should expect to do that. The church in communist China, was taken off guard when suffering and persecution came to them in that country because the missionaries who had come to communist China had convinced the people that they would not experience suffering and travail. George Ladd writes, and I quote, 
to be sure we experienced little hostility in America. This has lulled many Christians to sleep in the feeling that God would possibly not allow his people suffer such devastating persecution, end quote. But I want to encourage us to be on guard, to be ready, for we too may experience suffering and persecution in the future, even in our nation. Suffering is viewed in Scripture as a gift from God. Philippians 1.29, Paul says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also, he says to the Philippians, the privilege of suffering for him. So, Paul is saying, we will not be spared from persecution and suffering while we walk on this earth. The important aspect is not that we avoid physical death, but instead the importance is that we remain true through our Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution. And then God teaches us and brings us to maturity through suffering. Paul says to the believers in Corinth, and he shares with them what he has learned in suffering, and he says that the comfort that that he has received then in 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, that the comfort that he has received, he will be able to give that to others. And he discovered through intense persecution that he despaired of life itself Rather than depending on his own resources, he discovered that he could rely on God. So God uses the comfort that we receive and we are then able to minister that comfort to others as God leads us. The Meserete Christian Church, Christo's Church, began in Ethiopia. And that church grew very rapidly in the time of the Marxists from 1974 to 1991. And using underground cell groups because they were not allowed to worship openly, the church increased 20% per year. This church is now more than 100,000 strong and has spread to every region in that country of Ethiopia. Nathan Hagee, in his book, Beyond Our Prayers, shares the story of Fikru Zaleke, a new believer who was assigned by the government to serve as a registrar at the Agricultural College. And a church leader laid hands on Fikru and another brother, and give them as a mandate, Matthew 28, 19, 18 and 19. And they wondered why they were given this charge, even though they were not church leaders. But Firku took this charge very seriously, and he witnessed and instructed believers in the faith. And soon the government officials began to watch what Fikru did and where he went. 
And sometimes he met with other believers in a hotel dining room where they prayed with their eyes open and they passed scripture verses around on little bits of paper. And not more than five believers met in each house fellowship because more than that was illegal. And when the believers were transferred to other towns for employment, Fikru visited them and encouraged them to start new fellowships. In November of 1985, a guard from the security department came to Firku's office and handed him a summons to appear for questioning. Pulling out a pistol, the guard ordered Firku into a closed van, and at the security office, the guard accused Firku spreading the forbidden Meserete Christos Church. And the officer, as he met, had a pistol there lying on the table. Firku states, quote, From the time I entered the man's presence, a special power came upon me which was not my own, something I had not experienced before. And so I began to dispute with him. I told him that I'm pre preaching a permitted gospel and that I have permission to do so. And at one point, Firku responded, I have permission from the king of kings. And when asked to show his permission, he reached in his back pocket and he pulled out a, a Bible and read Matthew 28, 18 to 20. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. At that point, the guard became angry and slapped him on the face, and they continued to debate for a total of 10 hours. And finally, Firku was released after he promised not to invite other people to his home for teaching. However, he made it clear that he would teach people who came to their house on their own and desired instruction in the scriptures. Now, as Nathan Hagee reports, later the guard himself was imprisoned for some reason, and eventually that guard then came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I share this as a powerful vignette, a powerful example of persecution and suffering in more recent times. So therefore, as I indicated earlier, we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared, like the church in Ethiopia, to experience suffering in our land. And one way of being prepared, or some ways of being prepared, are to read and to memorize the scriptures, to pray, and to strengthen our faith, because we do not know when we too will experience persecution. And we are ready then for the great ordeal as we too use the resources that we find in Jesus Christ and as we have washed our robes in the blood of the Lamb. We follow, we follow and worship Christ the, lion, the Lamb, the one on the throne who is the shepherd who is the Lamb of God. We follow this Jesus, that shepherd who was slaughtered on the cross for our sins. And we wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb and they become white. 
and we will be able to face persecution and suffering as we follow the Lamb who is our shepherd. Amen and amen. At this point, I have one announcement that I want to share with you, and that is that Anna and I need to leave early today to honor a special invitation that we have received. When we lived in an apartment complex in Quakertown, prior to, immediately prior to moving here to Lancaster County, we became good friends with the neighbors next door who had come to the United States from Albania. And we had, as the relationship developed with this family, we had the opportunity to share with them the Christian faith and now have been keeping in contact with them through the years. And Ed and I have been invited to attend a 2 p.m. formal engagement party this afternoon for their youngest daughter, Anissa, and she's celebrating getting to get married next summer uh, with her fiance, jo Joseph. So we need to travel. They have since moved to New Jersey. We need to travel to a place, uh, uh, Birth, Perth Amboy, for this event, and therefore uh, it'll be a, more than a two-hour drive and uh, we want to allow adequate time to get there on time. Therefore, I've asked Pastor Jeff to close the service then following the, uh, the uh, closing song. So thank you for your understanding for this important uh, ministry and opportunity to be together with this family. <laughs> 